0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, it is great to have a guest speaker today. I woke up this morning and I get up early. I I came to church at the same time I normally do, which is pretty early, but I I, I felt different this morning. I can't tell you the difference it is uh, as far as a pastor when he's speaking and when he's not. Uh, there's something just completely different, contrast in, in your emotions and how you feel, but they're still powerful. So this morning, when I got up, realizing I did not have to bring the message at nine and ten forty-five, but I would get to sit and soak it in and listen, just something overwhelmed me. A, 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 I, I guess I could explain it as just gratitude to my to my precious Lord and Savior because I knew I needed it. I just, I didn't know what i needed i just knew i needed something i needed to be fed i just needed it and was i ever fed oh I, I don't know how to put it in words i'm so thrilled that we have a guest speaker here today named larry burton dr larry burton uh, has pastored for had been in ministry for over 38 years He's been married for almost 49 years to his beautiful bride Marilyn. she's here with him uh, his daughter uh, is here also Kristen and her husband they had some guests in the first service I like it when guest speakers bring visitors How good I like it in fact I may start that you can preach here if you bring somebody with you all right and uh, he's, he's been filling the filling the pews but uh, we're excited he also has a son by the name of Justin and these uh, two children five grandchildren uh, a, a son-in-law who's here today a, a daughter-in-law uh, and just a wonderful family and I'm grateful for his ministry At his legacy at Legacy and other churches as well. Uh, God has, unknowingly to him, but God has fed me through different ways that he's ministered over the past about 10 years. And I've just come and I've never had him speak here until now, and I will have him back, I'm sure. My, we we need every venue to hear uh, a message, whether it's the college, maybe the school, but the church for sure this morning, this is God's will. We're excited about celebrating marriage today and about looking at christ's model for marriage but trust me the message will apply to everyone here this morning in whatever place you are at in your life so would you join me in welcoming our guest speaker uh, brother larry burton to the platform and let's give him a, a, a listening this morning praise the lord wow what a
1: privilege and an honor it is to be with you, Pastor Eric and Carol Ann. Thank you, Doug and Sharon Gulley, close friends to us, and some legacy family uh, that have showed up today. We are blessed. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 25 through 28, and then verse 31 and 32. So, what a beautiful theme for your year as you're talking about next level. And today we're talking about developing a vision for next level marriages. Your February statement was growing with God's vision to the next level. Your core value is God has given us a, what is an opportunity to grow. He's always set before us an opportunity to grow. Your key verse is 2 uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And he says, uh, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and honor forever and ever. And then our focus is be the vision and do the mission. And so today we're going to be talking about God's role model for marriage. Christ said, I came that you might have life and have it how." more abundantly. His promise was that I'm going to take you from glory to glory to glory. So God has always intended from the moment that he saved you, he's always intended to take you to a new level in your faith, your family, your marriage, and in in, on your work. So we're believing God to take us to new levels this year in a way like never before. Ephesians 5 verse 25 Paul, talking to the men of Ephesians, of Ephesus, he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she ought to be holy and without blemish, so men ought to love their own wives as their own bodies and then he says in verse 31 for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined or cleave unto his wife and they two shall become one flesh and then he beautiful verse in 32 he says marriage is a great mystery how many of you ever figured out that mystery yet? <clears throat> But he said, Mary's is a great mystery concerning or representing Christ's relationship with the church. So there's a parallel in Christ's examples to you and I today. So happy Valentine's week. It's going to be, it is our nation's most celebrated outside of Christmas, most celebrated holidays. We celebrate love This year, $25 billion will be spent in honor of love on Valentine's Week. $2.5 billion will be spent to buy 58 million pounds of chocolate wrapped in 36 million boxes. The most favorite is the heart-shaped box. $2.5 billion will be spent on on flowers. The most favorite flower will be the red rose. $2.1 billion will be spent for lingerie by men who are a little bit self-serving, and it will come in lace and satin and linen, but there's no flannel. I know you're surprised. They have not made see-through flannel yet. Oh, help me. Isn't God good? $2.5 billion will be spent on pets. Somebody said, the more I'm around people, the more I like dogs. And so uh, my question to you men is, do you remember when and where and how you met your wife? And so I, I will never forget, this July we will celebrate 49 years of marriage and two children and five beautiful grandchildren. But I'll never forget that Warm Sunday morning in the fall of 1970 in Southwest Little Rock, as I was driving to pick up my girlfriend from church, her name was Shirley. And Shirley said, "Baby, would you mind us stopping down on Chico Road? I have invited a friend to come to church with me." I said, "Baby, I sure will." And so I remember pulling into that little gray brick house driveway and I honked my horn. And out of the door of the carport came the most beautiful angelic being I have ever seen. And she was five foot three and a half. She had brown hair that went all the way to her waist. She was wearing brown buckled high heel shoes with two inches. A brown shoulder strap bag. And I like the way God put her together, if you know what I mean. And, and so we drove to church, and as I was driving to church, I had an epiphany. How many of you ever had an epiphany moment? That's, a, that's where somebody turns a light out. And it was then I realized, God, surely is not your plan for my life. And I want you to give me the wisdom and the ability to gracefully kick Shirley to the curb and make her friend my friend. And, problem almost solved itself. I almost got stuck with Shirley. See, we went to a Pentecostal church and we liked to praise. We liked to uh, shout. We had some that liked to run the aisles. My uncle is as pure in his love for God. He's gone now, but. His name was Adrian, but when he'd get really excited in the Lord, he'd start clapping and he'd run around the sanctuary and he, his, his praise sounded like a dog barking. And it was just hard to not laugh when Adrian got, started getting jiggy with it in the spirit. And I remember that Sunday morning and everything was going fine. I, my mind was just captivated by my, my Marilyn. And uh, it was me and Shirley and Marilyn. And I wanted it to be me, Marilyn and Shirley and uh, I remember the, strong, the song service struck up, and uh, the, I don't know if his I'll fly away or he set me free or everybody will be happy over there. And then I heard the tambourine break out, and I said, uh-oh. I said, and I began to pray, God, don't let it break out today. Not with Marilyn here. Not with her first experience. And, and the, so then I started seeing people start to get up and and then they started to sway and then they started clapping and then dear sister shields i don't know how old she was but she was in her high 80s and i don't think she had ever cut her hair and she piled it all on top of her head and she pinned it together in a pentecostal bun with bobby pins but when she started to shout let me tell you the bobby pins began to fly and i'm saying lord not today and don't let it break out and guess what it broke out and as i was praying for god not to let it break out. It broke out. Marilyn was praying too, but her prayer was totally different from mine. She said, Lord, if you get me out of here, I promise I will never come back. I will never come back. These people are crazy. And guess what? God did not answer either one of our prayers. The shout went on and Marilyn came back and God gave me the wisdom and grace to gracefully kick Shirley to the curb And to make her friend my friend. And we've spent a half a century together and she's been my best friend. She's my baby mama. (laughs) Yeah. She is the love of my life. She's my valley walker. She's been my prayer warrior. She, She has stuck beside me when she should have given up. The Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Baby, thank you for not leaving that Sunday and all the other 2,548 Sundays, not that I'm counting, that you have stuck beside me. I love you, baby. In God good. So back to the word. Men, I'm going to share some things today, and I don't want you to think that I'm picking on you because I'm not. But any time God has something important to say, God always speaks to leadership. If he's got something to say to the church, he will speak to the pastor. If he has something to say to to the nation, he will speak to the leadership. He'll speak to the prophets. If he has something to say about a marriage, he will speak to the husband. So men, the Holy Spirit is wanting to challenge your heart. Today four things that I want to share with you. And the first one of this is, men, you are the initiator of your marriage covenant. You are the covenant maker. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Then he says in verse 32, marriage is a great mystery representing Christ's relationship to the church. So there's this parallel between us in Christ and us in God. That term husband is a covenant term. It's the same term that God used to describe his relationship with Israel. That Israel was his beloved. There came a time she became so apostate and idolatrous that God said, I wrote a bill of divorcement. And then later he said, where is that bill of divorcement? I've tore that up. We're back together again, baby. Aren't you glad that God sticks with you? Deuteronomy 7, 9, God says, I am the faithful God that keeps covenant to a thousand Generations, so so God is in this covenant relationship with Israel. Jesus is in a covenant relationship with us, the church. Did you get that? And so He is in this covenant relationship with us, and uh, He He loved us from hello. Now, according to Middle Eastern tradition and culture, anytime you had a covenant between somebody of great wealth and somebody of no wealth, it's called a suzerain covenant. It is a covenant between a greater and a lesser. So I want you to wrap your mind and wrap your hearts around that because it is important to us as men because it was important to God, and it was important to Jesus Christ. Now, understand in covenant, I want to back up a minute, because when God entered into a covenant with Abraham, because covenants are important. So God enters this covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, and he says, I want you to take a heifer, a she-goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon— And I want you to cut their carcasses in half. And I want you to put half on this side and half on this side. And the blood would begin to pull toward the middle and it made a pathway of blood. How many of you understand that the blood, there's no life without blood? The blood is important in a covenant. And so the covenant partners would walk up and down between the pieces of that covenant and they would dip their hem of their garment would become dipped in blood. How many of you believe there's power in the hem of his garment? Okay, that's another message, but there's power of the blood. And so what you happen as they would walk up and down in the midst of the pieces of the sacrifice, they would make promises one to another. The Bible says that when, after Abraham had divided the carcass, God caused a great sleep to come upon Abraham. And in that sleep, God gave him a dream or a vision. And in that dream or vision, God made some promises. And he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Your descendants are going to be strangers and captives in a land for 400 years. But I'm going to bring you out with great power. And I'm going to give you a land that you did not own. Can I tell you, that was an unconditional covenant that was not based on Abraham's ability because Abraham made no promises to God. So it was unconditional because God made all the promises. The God who keeps Israel does not slumber and he does not sleep. He's the faithful God. That's why Israel will never cease to exist because God made a promise to Abraham, I will keep her, I will protect her, I will bless her. How many of you know that is a suzerain covenant? It is a covenant of a greater with a blesser that God has promised. He's espoused to Israel, and He will keep her and protect her. A suzerain covenant is also represented in Christ's relationship with you and I. You understand it. It comes into that relationship between you and I and Him. So we come into that relationship, bringing nothing but he brings everything we come into that relationship bringing our sorrow but he gives us joy we bring our emptiness and he comes bringing his fullness we bring our mess and he brings in his miracle we we come with our lack of strength, he brings his power. We come as orphans, he makes us family. Are you beginning to get the picture? It is a suzerain covenant between a greater and a lesser, somebody that does not have with a relationship with somebody that does have and his, what he does for us is not based on our promise or our goodness, but it's based on God's promise and his goodness. Isn't that good? So men... Understand something. When you enter into a marriage relationship, it's not a 50-50 partnership. Because 50% means you're only half-hearted. You're only giving half of who you are. You're you're, you're just giving half of an effort. And I promise you that relationship, a 50-50 relationship will never make it. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to bring the 100% of who we are into the relationship and it's our sacrifice that brings value and strength and blessing and you have the potential to draw out of your bride by your investment so instead of you looking for somebody to make you happy. And how many times have you heard people who call in it quits say she doesn't make me happy anymore? But look for somebody that you can bless because God has called you as the initiator of that covenant. You're the reason that she's wearing your ring and has your last name. You made the covenant. It's up to you to make the investment. The second thought is love is a choice, it's not a feeling. Love is a choice. See, husbands love your wife. You've made this decision. That is a possessive adjective. Husbands love your wife. You're the one that asked her to marry you. You're the one that said, I cannot live life without you. You're the one that said, for better or worse. You're the one that says, will you be my wife? Will you be with me forever? i give my life for you. It's you as a, you made that choice. And herein is love in 1 John 4.10. Not that we loved God, but that God first loved us and gave himself as a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So what, listen, what qualities was Christ looking for when he chose you? Because, men, it has something to do with what qualities were you looking for when you chose your wife. If Christ came looking for the religious, looking for our religiosity, looking for our spiritual elitism, if he came looking for the rule keepers and the ones that had it all together and they dressed spiritual, they, they came speaking Christianese, they came looking like they were all cleaned up, then he would have chose the Pharisees. But he did a pharisectomy. Oh, come on, somebody. Some of y'all need a pharisectomy. That's where the, it takes the Pharisee out of you. But what was, what was he looking for? What was the quality that Christ was looking for? He said, I came to seek and save those that are what? Lost. The whole don't need a physician. I didn't come for the people that got it together. I came for the people that were tore up from the floor up. I I came for the people that were broken. They were abandoned. They were abused. They were misfits. They were rejected. They were hated. They were ostracized. They were prodigals. They were depressed. They were oppressed. And some of them were even possessed. He said, I came for them Because understand something, his choice was sacrificial because here's what he saw. I know what she can become if I pour into her my sacrifice and my investment. I know what she can become if she will let me do my work in her life. If she'll just receive what I have to, she will be transformed into a totally different person than she is right now. So instead of you looking for somebody that that pleases you and makes you happy, but yet what do we do? We have a tendency to make choices that are based on the selfish, the sensual, and the sexual. In Judges 14, Samson, he liked his women a little on the trashy side. Too much makeup, too much rouge, left the brother feeling a little confused. And so he, he went to his mom and dad, and he said, I have found a daughter of the Philistines. My wife gave me the I. I'm sorry, baby. That was not the Lord talking then. That was just me. And she keeps me in line. Thank you. Babe. Now I lost my train of thought. Okay, so he goes to his parents. He said, listen, I found a woman of the daughters of the Philistines from Timnath, I want you to go and get her for me because she pleases me. And they said, why can't you marry a righteous woman? You see, his choice was based on the sexual, and he went from relationship to relationship and finally went into captivity. Okay. Because, listen, sex without the bond of marriage operates off the law of diminishing return, and it will end quickly. Solomon, supposed to be one of the wisest men outside of Jesus Christ, the wisest man on the face of the earth. Now, he was a great poet in, in Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and chapter 7. He gives us the qualities. Remember, men, I ask you, what qualities were you looking for in your wife when you found her? He gives the qualities of what he's looking for in the perfect woman. He says in four, chapter 4, verse 1, He says, you are fair, my love. You have the eyes like a dove. Any dove hunters in this house? Doves got small little beady eyes. They're not pretty eyes. They're little beady eyes. That sounded good on paper. Then he said, you got hair like a flock of goats. problem with goats is you got thin-haired. Goats? I don't know if he's saying, baby, I, I like you because you hardly have any hair. Or if you had that wild, wild, wiry hair that some goats have. So he, he leaves us wondering about this picture of what really are the qualities that he's looking for. He says, your lips are like a thread of scarlet. So she's got pencil lips. He said, your teeth look like a flock of sheep that have been shorn or just got shaved. Now, their wool is white, but when you shave a sheep, he's gray. So is he saying, I like you? your teeth because they look white like the wool or they look gray like the sheep that's left over after they've been shorn? I don't know. Understand, he, do, he leaves a lot of room for us to try to grasp. What's he really talking about? Then he says, you have temples the size of, oh, he didn't say this, you got temples like pomegranates, but I looked at pomegranate and it's the size of a grapefruit. Can I tell you that's a big temple? And then he says, You got a neck like the Tower of David, the armory upon which you can hang a thousand shields. That's not my idea of a beautiful woman. So you got to, okay. Rather than we digress, let's go to chapter seven, verse one through four. He says, Your feet are beautiful with your shoes on. which kind of implies a sister's got some ugly toes. Then he says, your navel is round like a goblet filled with wine. So I looked up goblet, and it is seven inches tall. It's four inches wide, and it'll hold 14 ounces of wine. I don't think that's a good-looking navel. And then to make matters worse, he says, your belly is like a shock of wheat beset with lilies. Now they take sheaves of wheat and they put them in these big piles as a shock of wheat. And he says, your belly is like a... So he liked... You say it. (laughs) She said he liked big bone women. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) She said what I couldn't say. And I don't know if lilies... Was a belt that she was wearing or if her stretch marks look like a vase of flowers? I don't know that. But you understand, he leaves a lot to the amount. I just got another eye for my wife. Okay, I did not say that. And then he said, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. What am I saying? I'm saying, listen, every person's idea of the perfect woman differ. Don't believe Hollywood's image of the perfect woman because they can't stay married. Their marriages are like revolving doors. Don't fall for the lie of what somebody else. So did Solomon ever find the perfect woman? No, he did not. 1,000 women later, 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women and 1,000 mother-in-laws. The brother was not that smart. Are you with me? But he never was happy. See, beauty is subjective. We see different kinds of beauty. Men don't make the mistake of confusing the wrapping paper with the gift. With time, things change. With time, we grow weaker. Shapes change, hair color changes, or let's go. We grow weak, and then we find out the golden years are really just rust. But in the midst of it all, men, as you're looking for what qualities you find in your wife, I want to tell you this that amazingly beautiful girl that I fell in love with from Hello. How beautiful, how petite. The wrapping paper of her physical appearance was beyond description. She wowed me then, but my love for Maryland today is far, far greater than the girl that I just met in 1970 what qualities are you looking for if your choice is sacrificial you'll understand something I don't care who you pick who you chose and who you initiated a covenant with be faithful to that covenant how great your marriage becomes is not based on her looks but it's based on your investment in her life the third thought is I want you to understand that if you want a marriage made in heaven learn to communicate in God's love language he said husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word that word for word is logos and logos is listen what logos is It's a recorded and revealed love of God in a language that you and I can understand. How is it recorded? Holy men of God wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 40 different authors over 1,500 years. They recorded God's love letter to you because God wanted you to know from cover to cover His plan from the beginning to the end to the new beginning. But so that you would not misunderstand his love letter, he gave the revealed, the revealed word of God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, life, and that life was the light of men. That light shined in the darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Then he goes on to say, He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them gave he power to what? To become the sons of God, as many as called on his name. Hebrews 1.1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke to our fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his dear Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things and by whom the worlds were made. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commanded or communicated his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Communication is the key to every relationship. Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. How many of you couples... People have read that, three of y'all. You may want to go buy it after I share this. So the five love languages, quality time, that if you love me, I want you to spend time with me. There are gifts that if you love me, I want want to know that you value me by, by surprising me with something of value. There's physical touch. If you love me, I want you to hug me and hold me and be intimate with me. There's words of affirmation that if you love me, I want you to praise me. I want you to tell me how wonderful. Say sweet somethings to my ear. And then there's acts of service. If you love me, I'd like for you to help around the house. Man, did you get that? Okay. And so as he's, as he's coming into this relationship and you've got this fivefold communication, here's the problem is we have a tendency that opposites attract. Me and my wife, we're both bilingual, but we don't speak the same language. I'm physical touch and words of affirmation. I want want to tell her how beautiful she is and I want to hug her. But that's not her love language, so she would rather me not tell her all the time how beautiful she is and try to hug her and hold her because her love language is quality time. When I'm talking to you, Larry, turn off the phone and actually look at me and listen. Oh, I wish somebody was in this house. Okay, give me quality time. Give me your undivided attention and then give me acts of service. Help me do the, carry the responsibilities. So we have this tendency, couples get frustrated because their mate does not get them. Here's what I found. People don't fall out of love. They find somebody that makes them feel better about themselves than their mate makes them feel. What do I mean? I mean the enemy sends somebody to them who speaks their love language. And it becomes very deceiving and seductive. So, men, if you have trouble communicating with your wife in your love language, try God's love language. Let me give you five. Humility, Ephesians 3, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He goes on to say, In humility, esteem others before yourself. In other words, men, humble yourself and put your wife first. I promise you she will appreciate that love language. Thank you for that amen. That was underwhelming. Okay. Okay, in humility, okay, you put her first. Patience. Impatience possesses you your soul, Luke 21, 19, and what it's saying. The ability to wait on her, the ability to wait on process without getting frustrated with everything that's not happening in your timetable. Can I tell you, I struggle with love language number two. I am so impatient. Love language number three is long-suffering. Ephesians 4.2, he said in humility and long suffering, forbear one another, put up with each other's faults without getting angry, without retaliating, without holding grudges. Learn how to suffer. Learn how to take one for the team. I think that's what that means. Love language number four is mercy. Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of us to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly? Mercy is forgiveness for people that are guilty. Then there's grace. That's where you take mercy a step, Father. You bless the people that don't deserve it. And isn't that your key verse? But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom belong, glory and honor forever and ever. What he's saying is as Christ has been gracious to you, learn how to be gracious to your wife. If you do, I promise your marriage will reach the next level. Last thought. Musicians can come to the platform. It's a short thought. I'm gonna back up three verses to verse twenty two. And here's the thought. Men don't demand respect you don't deserve. We want our wives to submit to us, but respect is earned. He said in verse 22, Wives, submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord. He said, For the husband is head of the wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body. What does that mean? Is the reason why the church submits to Christ is because Christ died for the church? Wives, be submissive to husbands as they are submissive to Christ. Let me qualify Christ's sacrifice because it has an application to us. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus our Lord, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, and being fashioned as a man, he, became, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He was submissive to God's will. Submission always brings promotion. See, this world has this crazy concept that submission is oppressive, it's sexist, and it's unjust. But submissive, biblical submission is the safest, most glorious place to be. Because it's submitting yourself to benevolent authority that has proven itself by sacrifice. So he humbled himself to the death on the cross. Wherefore, it says, God hath highly exalted. There came the promotion after the submission. God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that how many of you know at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and things in heaven and things on the earth and things on the other and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we submit, men, as we submit ourselves to Christ, there is promotion and our wife has much easier time to submit themselves to us. I want you to stand. Can we take our marriage to the next level? Absolutely. What do we do? We humble ourselves. We understand that we're the greater covenant partner and it's up to us to make the sacrifice. We understand that love is a choice. Our feelings are going to change, but our love is committed. We understand how to begin to speak in God's love language of humility and patience and long-suffering and mercy and grace. And we come to understand that as we submit ourselves to God, it's easy for our wives to submit to us. If you're standing there by your husband or your wife, would you, men, either take her by the hand or put your arm around her, kind of scrunch up to her, kind of give her a little hug, I want to pray for you. Pastors fixing to come and do communion. When Joseph, after 13 years, made it from the pit to the palace, he'd been through a lot. There'd been a lot of hurt, a lot of injustice, a lot of betrayal by his family. And that's the hardest thing to forgive when people that you love hurt. And so it came that coup d'etat moment when he could have destroyed the brothers that betrayed him, but he loved them. And, and God gave Joseph two sons, and, and there's a huge importance to this. He, his first son was named Manasseh, which means God has caused me to forget. In life and in marriage, there's, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to miss it. I don't know how she put up with all my ignorant years, But it takes a while to grow us boys up. There's going to be things that are going to happen that are going to hurt and if you're not careful you'll become historical about them when you get hysterical. And if you don't learn how to forgive you can't learn how to forget. So when he says God hath caused me to forget he had already forgiven his brothers else he could not forget the pain that they had caused some of you the difference between you and the next level of your marriage is you got to learn how to forgive the person that you has hurt you and as you forgive them god's going to move you into the place that you forget that the second son was ephraim which means god has caused me to be fruitful in the land where of my afflictions or in the land where I once hurt or in that marriage that I once hurt or in that situation that I once hurt. God has caused me, and he's turned it around. He's turned my marriage around, brought it to a new level, and now that level of that marriage is more fruitful than it's ever been, and I want to pray for you. If you've been hurt, it's time for you to forgive so you can forget, and then we're going to ask God to make that marriage the most fruitful Relationship that you could ever imagine as he takes you to the next level. Father, I love you. I thank you for every wife, every husband in this house. Marriage, God, is the building block of faith for the next generation. If we don't get it right, we pass down a broken pattern to the next generation. So we need your help. God, for those marriages and those families that have been hurt by failure and pain, By the act of our will, God, we ask them you to forgive us, and we forgive them. causes, God, to be able to forget and move past that moment that we're stuck. And, God, I'm asking for a holy anointing upon every marriage that you will cause every marriage to prosper with fruitfulness, with joy and blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated.